The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals, and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network and BBN. The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere through Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. On this episode, Chris insists a giant chrome bunny is art. Dr. Mark insists that even Howleys get the blues. We watch two of our stalwart explorers get stabbed. Can't wait for that. Maybe they'll finally let me out of this Faustian deal. Anyway, I'm your disembodied announcer, Micah Bromage, and now let's get whatever the hell this is started. Here's the crew, Andrew, Robert, Dr. Mark, and Chris. Hello, and welcome to Keep Your Hat on the Show, where, hell, even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends Robert Anthony and Dr. Mark Peterson out in Wisconsin, and my partner Chris Vacano. And Chris, what do you got for us today? I hear it has to do something about the fact that you don't know art. All right, Chris, let's go to school. What do you got? All right. So uh, I wanted to actually kick this off with an artist who I've had a long-standing love-hate relationship with and I've come to really appreciate in doing the research for this segment. And as I as I sort of started going down this rabbit hole, uh, it, it sort of got bigger to include another artist that I could draw parallels and analogies to and then put them into a larger framework and context. And actually, uh, so, so, so the artist I started off with, uh, his name is Jeff Koons. Uh, he started his career in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, he's done, he's known for having done several, several series of different work. Um, he's, he's very well known in the art world, not so well known, you know, outside of kind of the, the academic elite gallery, ivory tower of the art world. Right. Uh, but but he's he's something of a bad boy in the art world and was very much anchored in as uh, one of the one of the prime um, vanguard of the postmodernist movement in art. And so that's that's the broader context. And I think that that's uh, probably what people uh, your your everyday man or, or woman or, or person uh, who looks at art is probably going to know him best for. I mean, the thing that I know him for mostly is his recent piece rabbit right and i'll i'll come back around to that uh that's that's kind of where i'm going to kind of circle back around towards the end mm-hmm. um the uh, let me uh, let me talk for a moment about what postmodernism is because it's it's kind of poorly understood. Uh, oftentimes, it's confused with the postmodern philosophical movement, which yes, it, 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 the 
the artists were all reading uh, Roland Berta and Jacques Derrida and so on. Um, but but that wasn't really the driving force in in the postmodern movement. Uh, the the driving force was that postmodernism was a reactionary, rebellious movement against the the precepts that were set out in modernism, which which was this encapsulation of this idea that art should be forward thinking, it should be forward building, um, it it should be establishing. It should be looking towards the future and be out ahead of culture. And and the postmoderns basically sought to knock art off of its pedestal, uh, basically smash all the pieces and put them back together in, in a very different way, in very different combinations. Can you give uh, people who are listening and watching an idea of time frame of when postmodern, as far as art goes, really started gaining traction in American culture and around the world? Yeah, the postmodernism, uh, its its early days started in the 60s, you know, early to mid 60s. Uh, it really caught steam in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, and really around by, by about 2000 or the early aughts, uh, it, it was pretty much done. Um, now, so it was always part of that movement, wasn't he? Yeah, I I mark Warhol as very much the tip of the spear. In yeah, that I movement. would I would say he was a man. Um, he was a later manifestation of it uh, from the fifties, uh, contemporized into the sixties, and yeah. then really started setting his own tone. Right. It, it it was where Warhol pivoted and started working with his his sort of pop culture prints. That's uh, uh, he. He was so influential on so many artists, particularly those in in New York City, uh, mm -hmm. that 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 they were they were very much acolytes of his movement, and that really gave rise to the postmodern thing, uh, where sort of the, the philosophy in postmodernism, you know, in reacting to modernism, was was not only just breaking apart all the pieces and being iconoclastic and and you know changing the rules they they also really focused on the merging of high art and low art and and changing the vernacular of art changing the language and and the way we use it and jeff coons is a great example of this mm -hmm. um because what he's essentially done um I, I mean you look at jeff coons work and at first blush, and, and, and I wrestled with this for a long time when I first got exposed to Jeff Koons back in the 90s. Uh, at first blush, you kind of shrug and look at his work, or, mm -hmm. or you're, you're actually appalled by it. And, and, and I was very much appalled by it. I, 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 was, I was looking at his work saying, good God, people are paying these ridiculous amounts of money and I'm having to study this idiot? And... and 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 what I learned as I started to dig in is that was that was kind of exactly his point was was that uh, banal everyday objects and kitsch and high polish, uh, you know, these things were interesting. You know that 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 why not elevate the banal and the mundane and 
and think about it, you know, recontextualize it and rethink it and recognize that that, that art exists in our every day. Well, what's interesting um, to me, too, is in that time frame when, when Koons was really starting to get more prominence in the late 70s and early 80s, um, design was going through a renaissance itself where things that were made for daily use were we were re-examining things like ergonomics we were re-examining things like uh form and function and that mm -hmm. you know even things that are 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 obvious and basic as far as the utility actually deserve to be looked at as art from their physical design properties Absolutely. And, and this was one of the interesting things in the postmodern movement was that was uh, this massive collision of high art and design and low art. And, mm -hmm. and, and the design piece really comes in in that a lot of postmodern artists used a uh, sort of technique uh, for, for lack of a better word, I can't find a better word. Um, uh, called bricolage, which oh, is yeah. the the introduction of text into art pieces. That that was a very new thing, you know, bringing the written word into painting, into sculpture, into photography. Uh, this this was a this was a new thing, and they had they they were really shattering a barrier and a boundary that had been very carefully and meticulously minded by artists leading up to that point um and and yes you're absolutely right this 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 notion of design coming in the notion of manufacture and and just just the presence of everyday objects i want to circle us back to jeff coons and the earliest pieces that i i encountered were um michael jackson with bubbles the chimp which actually got a lot of press coverage uh, at the time, um, and 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 you look at this piece, and it's it's hideous. I mean, it is it is kitsch. It is appalling. Yeah. I mean, it's is just the one that's gold. It's all yes. done in like gold and stuff. Gold and yeah. white and horrible. It's 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 literally. I, I mean, it creates a very visceral vomit response when you consider that it's being shown in the highest prestige places in the art world. But it's it's also fascinating in that regard because, you know, essentially Jeff Koons is knocking down the doors and saying, you know, kitsch, highly painted, gold, you know, gold, shiny, uh, ceramic, a ceramic uh, sculpture of a massive pop culture icon belongs in these hallowed spaces and 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 that shook a lot of people up that shook a lot of thinking up um the it's, other oh go ahead punk rock. he's just like punk rock of our world <laughs> absolutely you bet quite you bet. yeah and, quite and, so and there's there's the analogy and 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 postmodernism <laughs> in general is very much punk rock in the sense of if if you take modernism as being classic rock and being very serious and very earnest and very you know, devoted to a vision and a mission. Uh, mm. You know, the postmoderns came in and said, "Hell with that! I've got 
three chords of guitar and the truth, you know, yep. and they really sought to, you know, change the thinking. Um, the the other the other early pieces were that that I encountered were from his Made in Heaven series, which it takes it takes the artist into. I mean, Jeff Koons took himself and his marriage to, uh, at the time, a well-known Italian porn actress named Chicolina. Yeah. Uh, That's actually where I first know him from was Chicolina. No, they're divorced years ago. Yeah, yeah, but I I remember hearing about them because as a young man, I was an aficionado of certain magazines that shall remain nameless. And of course, they were all they were all falling over themselves when Chicolina wound up being elected to uh, to Italian parliament. Right. Right. And 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 that I, I mean, they they were doing some fascinating things in the 80s and 90s. I mean, they they, they were sort of the embodiment of of culture really looking at itself. Well, and the, the and, interesting thing to me, too, is now that I'm looking at it with 50 some year old eyes, I can actually see that um, Chicolina being in Italian parliament is in and of itself very postmodern. Deliberately. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. Yeah, that was not an accident. Absolutely, um, and 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 so and 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 this this gets into one of the other really big components of postmodernism, and and this is where I'm going to transition to this third artist creator that I mentioned, uh, but but the postmoderns really introduced and and actually I shouldn't say introduced because there were some artists who were doing this prior to the postmoderns, but they really championed. But, they really championed and really codified and cemented the idea of art being self-aware and and really examining what is art what constitutes art what uh, you know what uh, they, they they started actually making art that was intentionally art rather than Art serving some other higher purpose, right? Uh, and 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 often commenting on art that had gone before uh, through the use of uh, you know recontextualization, um, you know. Uh, so where do appropriation, you appropriation things where, like that? Where do you see? Coons's influence then in today, and by the way, for those who don't know, um, Jeff Coons is still a working artist. I believe he's 60, oh. 5, 66, somewhere around there, yep. something like that. And and uh, he is, st- he he's is still, still a going, today. he's a going concern in the art world. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's primarily sculpture based. I've seen some flat work of his in the past, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. again, really the, the, the biggest piece of Kuhn's art that is in the public consciousness is his uh, piece Rabbit, which I believe the rabbit, which I believe and is still holds the record. It's it's one of two pieces he's done that hold the, uh, that are in the Guinness Book of World's Records for highest sale at, uh, at highest sale price at yeah. auction. Yeah, highest sale at auction, and I believe it went ninety one point one million dollars back in two thousand nineteen. Rabbit sold for, and Rabbit. It just for those of us who are uh, listening uh, on the audio side of the podcast, if you're not familiar, uh, Rabbit is a nineteen eighty six piece, and if you ever saw. A classic balloon rabbit made by a balloon artist. 
it looks for all the world like that made out of a kind of a platinum looking foil it is mm-hmm. well that's that's the is, surface treatment it's, yes it's it, yeah it's it's sculpted in metal and then and then he wanted to get this very smooth very high finish surface on it and and what it was coming across rabbit when I started to really appreciate Jeff Coons mm. and, and I stopped being angry and hostile to were, him. Were you, were you won over, were you won over by the, by the, um, the juxtapositions or were you won over by the process or what really kind of kicked it over from one side to the other for you? It, it was, it was a combination of things for me personally. I had fully kind of absorbed at that point what postmodernism was doing and what it was about. And so it made sense to me. I understood the rules of the road. I could fit it in. Um, the simplicity and the elegance of the piece and the recognition of, yes, it's, it's a balloon rabbit, but it's also a beautiful combination of forms. And, and his surface treatment, making it pristine and highly polished, as you say, the juxtapositions and the fact that it's made out of metal and it's gigantic. But at a distance, it looks like what you would think if somebody says balloon rabbit. I mean, yeah. you, you could easily, Absolutely. at a distance, mistake it for something that somebody was handing a child. Right, right. Absolutely. Now, how do you tie this into your your final uh, destination with where Coons is as far as our our culture right. and our, our art consciousness goes. So, so to give an analogy, and this this is where we bring in this third creator. Uh, I, I had this revelation uh, in the in the last couple of weeks that inspired me to actually pick up, you know, to really work with this particular topic for this particular segment, and that's the films of Baz Luhrmann ah. uh, working in, in 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 film in cinema. Boz Lerman, roughly contemporary to Jeff Koons. He's a bit younger. He's 58 now. Mm-hmm. His, 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 I see striking similarities in, in their work. So, so for people who might not be so familiar with Jeff Koons, Jeff Koons is kind of the Boz Lerman of the art world, in my opinion. Now, uh, uh, due diligence, you need to start. Let's give uh, a, a bit of a yeah, breakdown back on some, some of the things that that Boz has done in the past. I was going to lay out why. Um, So, so, so Boz Lerman, he, he, he works not just strictly in cinema, but that's kind of my focal area for this, for this piece. He's also done commercial advertising. He's uh, done, uh, you know, recordings, television. He works in a lot of different media with regard to his filmmaking, uh, I'll just run down the quick list. There's the Red Curtain trilogy, which starts with Strictly Ballroom, moves on to Romeo and Juliet. Uh, oh, that's and right. Then, he did. Then, he did the. He did the 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 Leo's Romeo and Juliet. Didn't the he? the Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, which Romeo actually and I thought was a really underrated version of Romeo and Juliet. I thought that that was actually extraordinarily well done. Well, and and uh, yeah, the response to that film depends very much on the lenses through which you view it. Yes, and mm-hmm. and 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 the third in the in in the Red Curtain trilogy is uh, perhaps his best known film, which is Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, that yep. was. I'm sorry, I'm I'm unabashedly a fan of that film. 
Oh, yeah, it was terrific. But you can also see, I was just thinking of this too, is like you can see the shiny surfaces and that same kind of color palette. Oh, yeah. Right, that Coons uses all the time too, right? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, like and, hyper technicolor. And it was actually Moulin Rouge that triggered the connection for me because uh, I found I had the same visceral disgust the first time I saw that movie, the same oh. visceral, uh, I was appalled by it. I, I, and, and that's because I was looking through lenses of cinema is supposed to be a certain way. Right. And, and that, and that it, movie right there was a reintroduction to a style of visual storytelling. And I'm not even talking about, uh, the, the, no. the set I'm talking about the use of colors, that was a, a re-celebration of garishness, which I think also does hold hands very well with the postmodern aesthetic. The yeah. idea that sometimes color can be subtle, but it's also okay for 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 color to actually assault you and yeah, make like, you me be more aware, and at times make you feel uncomfortable. And Moulin Rouge does that. It 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 gives you that sense of discomfort sometimes with its colors because. It is so deep and so vibrant and so garish that mm -hmm. you immediately have a visceral reaction to it. Right, right. I and, also and, liked his treatment of, of Gatsby. Right. Yes, the great Gatsby was. Uh, and you was know what? I gotta, I gotta cop to something. I have not seen that. I probably mm. should. I probably should see that version of Gatsby, seeing that I've seen every other version of Gatsby pretty much ever done. Right. So it was a good place to bring the garish because that sort of was the idea. Right? Well, yeah, that's 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 what right. the whole story is, is garishness yeah. in both word. And then when you translate it into the visual. Yeah, right. It's 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 this sort of excessiveness and 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 a particular you know, American embracement of the garish and the gaudy. Yes. Yes. And and so how I'd like to tie this back together is is to you know let's take a look for a moment at Moulin Rouge and one of the most memorable scenes the theater scene oh yeah where they're doing smells like teen spirit and you've got men in top hats and tails you know singing smells like teen spirit interspersed with you know the 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 showmaster you know doing doing his bits and this big huge lavish bollywood looking dance production i think bollywood uh, is a really good descriptor it really does yeah. smack of bollywood yeah uh, and 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 you know i i there's no doubt in my mind that lerman was drawing that influence intentionally sure um yeah you don't you sure don't do it by accident because because this is what postmodernism is all about is throw a bunch of different things into a blender and see what you come out with. You know, the one thing I want to ask you, Chris, as we wrap this portion up, and this is something that I've I embrace postmodernism, but at the same time there are there are times where I tread very gently. And that is and I'll be interested to hear from Mark and Robert on this as well. <clears throat> postmodernism at times tends to teeter on that line of appropriation and i was i was i was glad that you mm. brought in the bollywood angle 
um, because I don't think that that was appropriation there. But I think that there are times where postmodernism is so confident in itself and so willing to break boundaries that at times it maybe can cross over and appropriate. Now, oh, obviously, oh, you, you appropriation can't... Appropriation was a blatant strategy being used by a number of postmodern artists. Yeah. Interesting. So you think that that was part of the 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 informed art view of the maker that I'm going to appropriate this and use that appropriation as a way to point to appropriation or am I doing it oh. because I feel I have such artistic license? Uh it's more of the latter and and actually the point that was informing most of these artists that they kept trying to hammer home was that everything in art that could be done has been done. There is nothing, basically, there is the nothing battle new. cry, yeah, there the is battle nothing cry new. was painting is dead. Right. And, uh, and, and so they, uh, you know, my, my speculation is that they felt very much, um, the responsibility for, for shaping something new and and in part of that reaching back to the old to bring it back forward uh there, but, that but reminds me of what, that reminds me i believe nobody can quote me on this until i put it in the the show notes but um i believe it was roy lichtenstein who actually said i don't need to worry about offending anybody because everything is already offensive <laughs> <laughs> It's a great quote. Uh, uh, but yep. uh, yeah, let's let's button this up. Where do you think, if a person is really interested in looking at Coons and starting to do a little bit of a dive into him, where where do you suggest that that people head? Oh I, well, he's he's got a website. That's a that's a great place to start. Uh, JeffCoons.com. There you go. Uh, Easy to remember. Below. Rolls off the tongue. Uh, yeah, I would also you know I would also check out uh, the Whitney Museum. Uh, website mm -hmm. uh, because they've been sort of one of the uh, one of the strongest advocates and patrons for Jeff Koons. They they took a lot of risks showing his work, and and uh, the Whitney the Whitney is known widely as being a very sort of progressive and forward thinking gallery in the art world. They're willing to try things that other more traditional galleries are afraid to touch. Uh, you know, they they also broke through for other postmoderns like Damien Hurst and some of the others who we'll talk about on on another show because I love talking about Damien Hurst. Well, all um, I all I really want us to do is get to the point where we talk about a banana taped to the wall. We'll be right back after this message. I don't know what the hell the message is. I haven't created it yet, but this is keep your hat on. I'm Andrew. That's Mark. That's Robert. That's Chris. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, Andrew Scott here from the Keep Your Hat On podcast. I just wanted to take a minute to say thanks for listening and to make sure that you know that there's a video version of our show over on YouTube. Not only do you get to see our lovely faces, and yeah, that's lovely in air quotes, but you also get a look at what we're talking about. And there's slightly different content over there. I mean, like whole different segments, bonus bits, and other stuff that, well, Let's just say that it's funnier in your eyes than it may be in your ears. 
So head on over to the YouTube channel at the link provided in your podcast listening app, click subscribe, and hit that little bell to be notified when new video content goes live. We'll see you there. Well, no, you'll see us there, but you get it. And remember, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Thanks. Now let's get back to the show. And welcome back. This is the last chapter of this episode of Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends Chris Vacano and Robert Anderson, and our special contributor, who you're probably going to be seeing here off and on, mostly on, uh, Dr. Mark Peterson, professor of philosophy in the University of Wisconsin. And uh, Mark, um, you know, you and I how were... Much, ch- how many? How many? Where did you get down to, Mark? 7,417. Oh, that's the total. Okay, 7,417 licks to get to the center Research. of a Tootsie Pop. Suck on that, Owl. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, we, 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 we have no sacred cows here. This is, this is the podcast where all cows are black. That's a philosophy joke for you. Wow, uh, that is an inside joke. <laughs> it's very inside. It's so inside. You have to lick through about 30 in order to get wow, to the center least, of that one. Yeah, I'll keep right. coming at it. I'll keep coming with it. Um, but uh, Mark and I were talking earlier. Uh, Mark and I have known each other now for 30 plus years. He was my, uh, he was my mentor and my, uh, my primary philosophy instructor wow. uh, before I went off to bigger and smaller things at a different college for a little while before I finally punched the cord, bailed out, and became a web developer, which brought me to the West Coast. And here I am. But, that um, was my fallback position, by the way. Uh, what, web developer? Um, computer science. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that Mark and I, that's the other thing that Mark and I share is we have a deep and abiding fondness for, um, useless old computers. Yeah. Useless old computers. (laughs) Uh, you know, um, K pros, K pros, awesome machines, awesome machine. The first time I ever propped that up on my legs and felt that 28 pounds, cutting into my knees and going, this is the future. The future is here. And, um, and, 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 and of course the ultimate, the ultimate text base arcade game ladder, which I still, you know, you can play that online. You can play that on the web. Somebody has come up with a ladder clone and it, I was just, if we're going to revisit those days, I was an Adventure 550 uh, freak oh, yeah. in those days. All yeah, boy. You're a, yeah. You're in a maze of twisty passages all alike. That was a good time. Sitting I'm, there playing that in the dark. Yeah, that was all right. And nothing but mm-hmm. nothing but the green screen CRT bathing your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that, was the, that was the Matrix before the Matrix was the Matrix. As soon as I saw the CRT colors of the Matrix, I was like, I'm home. Uh, I know where that me, is. You've yeah. got me desperately trying to remember the game that we used to play in the computer lab in my high school, which was uh, text-based. Uh, there basically, was a soundtrack. Uh, well, this was this There's was a Wampus. precursor. Uh, this is a precursor to Doom, where you were put on a map, oh. and the whole point was to actually get run around the map and deathmatch with with each other you would you would hunt each other down it was a wow. network game oh damn and see you were that was light years ahead of me network yeah, game years later years yeah. later i mean i started out with a hundred and 150 baud modem that literally was handset and um the first time the first time my dad and i got a hard drive to put in that k pro it was 10 
megabytes Ten big. Megs, and we were like, what the what hell are we going to do with all this? Nobody knew. Yeah. No. But Pro yeah. 10. And, uh, and Turbo, I, I, Turbo I Pascal. What... Turbo Pascal oh, yeah. was my second language and Fortran. And yeah, okay. I'm, I'm an old geek. But Turbo um, Pascal was my first. And, uh, and I just remembered that the name of the game was Snipe. Oh, sure. I remember oh, yeah. Snipe. Yeah, I do. you're right. That was fun. Actually, there was a version of that. Uh, Mark will remember this. There was a version of Snipe that was playable on the old bulletin board that we used to use uh, back in Wisconsin back in the <laughs> I day. Love it. Yeah. Was it PC Exec? What was the exec, name of that? Exec was, PC. Yeah. Exec PC. Mark and I were talking last time I was back in Wisconsin. I went and visited him and uh, he, oh, had, he had picked up a bit of a new habit. I'll say habit instead of hobby because we just we don't roll like that. It's not hobbies; it's habits. It still it always reminds me of my uh, my favorite uh, album name by the Doobie Brothers. Uh, you know what were vice what were once vices are now habits. Um, but uh, Mark, you're you're you've grown in your uh, appreciation and your uh, your accomplished nature as far as. The ukulele goes. Now, the ukulele's been a trending uh, instrument for about the past decade and some. And, of course, yeah. out here in hipster Oregon, uh, the ukulele is wildly popular. So if you need to bring the band on a road trip, we'll be able to put you in venues. I promise you. <laughs> All right, we'll you. see how it goes. But, I know some uh, of those people out there now. So Yeah, there you go. And you got a, you got a bed to stay in. But uh, we've got a segment here that we call Music You Didn't Know You Loved. And I'll admit that my knowledge of the uke as oh. as an instrument is kind of limited. Uh, I remember Robert and I were both really motivated uh, back when Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam came out with his ukulele album. Back yes. when he was kind of, I don't know, Robert, would you kind of call that cutting edge for Eddie Vedder back in the day? untraditional ukulele and i think that was the thing that lit me up about it yeah i agree as i've been i've been playing ukulele for a while as well uh, uh probably not as long as mark but um yeah it, it was just very untraditional ukulele stylings and i and it it was just it lit me up yeah and uh yeah, you know, I got, go ahead mark go ahead. no you so yeah so i th i must have gotten into the cult uh about, about about 15 years ago and um and i can tell you how this happened though it's like this is not a new instrument for me i was since i was born in hawaii um we had him in the house and um uh my dad was in the service i was born on old tripler in, in uh, honolulu and so we had ukuleles growing up and i will oh i look here oh would um, you please but I will tell you, this is the first song I remember my mother. I'm not going to sing or anything, but I'll give you the gist of it. But this is very old school, right? So um, I hope it's I, I hope it's no no rights, no royalties, old school, real old school. OK. <laughs> I got to say, you stepped up, you stepped it up a little bit from the last time we were together and we were singing. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were, by. we were, we were so, singing uh, uh, John Prine's illegal smile together, but I still sing nothing but John Prine. I'm, I, and and it's go. amazing how much yeah, the other cult members in the ukulele universe are all worshipers at the altar, of course, of John Prine. Oh, uh, St. John. Uh, I will tell you, it's like what happened to me was, and it's like, he's wearing, uh, Robert's wearing his Jake Shimabukuro uh, shirt. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Right on. Right on. Okay. Yeah, he, he dressed so, for the occasion. About, about 15 years yeah. ago, um, 
about 15 years ago, I was making jokes in class about ukuleles. Because that's 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 how I roll. If, if you're going to teach uh, 18 to 25 year olds uh, Plato and make it fun, you better bring your your A game <laughs> or so your ukulele. I usually, bring your I ukulele. Usually, <laughs> yeah, you want it. You want it. You want to roll off the edge a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So I was making jokes about ukuleles, and Plato. So I don't remember what it was. And and one of my students sent me a link to the famous Jake Shimabukuro Central Park yep. video. You know the one I'm talking about, yep. uh, playing while my guitar gently weeps, which like killed it. Well, oh, geez, yeah, that so, was that that was us stepping out into a different world as far as got, ukulele goes. The one that really got me was not the one that was in Central Park, but the one where he's actually isn't he in a studio? I think he did another one that was. He was he was actually on. Uh, I think he was on a jetty or something like that in Hawaii. Oh yeah, uh, and he did, yeah. Oh right! Yeah, we'll link. We'll find and link that one down below as well. Yeah, you can put those guys up. Hell yeah! If you really wanted to see Jake lose it, um, he did a TED Talk version uh, where he did Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yeah! Yes. And if you if you haven't seen that, it's just like killer. Well, okay. So I so I I open this thing up and I'm thinking, oh cute, another Hawaiian kid playing the ukulele. And then of course it's just like, (laughs) holy cats! But what happened with me though was. It lit up all this latent circuitry in my head from my childhood, right? From like before we left when I was two years old. So I have dim memories, but it hit all that those latent circuits. And it was like, uh, and um, I put it off for about a month and a half. My then fabulous wife um, said, uh, buy the freaking uke. So I did. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. That stuff. So, like, I just played. That's five foot two, right? Every one of those songs essentially has the same chord structure, right? Yeah, boy, and um, they they scolded us punk kids for three chords. Oh yeah, there's, it's all the same chords, and it's like uh, every song runs the same. Um, Ain't misbehaving and uh, right. Paper Moon, for instance, same chord structures, all that. Well, yeah. Okay. Has anybody seen my gal? Yeah. So this is actually fairly amusing. My uke buddies know this stuff because we all know each other now. But but um, uh, I found my way to the easyfolk.com web uh, page, which was like the only one around at the time that touched on this because I blew through that first set of strings in, a, in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what happens to people who play the uke. It's like you just become completely fixated and obsessed. I, even guitar players, if you get a new guitar, it's like, you know, that's all you're doing for the next yeah. month. Right. Um, yeah. And so I put a note up. Oh, this is I'll just introduce my my uh, my the rest of my cult members this way. Oh, do. And how I got introduced to them. So I, I put a note up in Easy Folk and I said, hey, I need new strings for this uh, for the and it was a Kala brand tenor, which is a pretty good make. I still have it. Actually, it looks a little bit like Woody, uh, like uh, Willie Nelson's trigger now. Oh, nice. So but. I, I, was, I, I thought I thought for sure you were going to go the route of this looks like uh, this ukulele kills fascists, which, by the way, oh. if you don't have a uke that has it on there, you really should. Yeah. The, the, there's a, I have a friend named Bob Colliday whose uke says this this instrument kills t- tiny fascists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Bob is one of the great fixtures at the ukulele world. I had this actually. Here's the mug at the uh, at the. At the Ukulele World Congress in uh, Needmore in Nashville, Indiana, every year in June. Nice. It's a Woodstock for ukulele players. Well, so I put this note up in Easy Folk. I said, where can I get new strings? And I got this really weird uh, private message from this guy named Neil Paisley, 
And Neil says, uh, hey, you're, it looks says here you're in Wisconsin. Where are you? I said, out in West Bend. He goes, oh, so pretty close to Milwaukee. I said, yeah. He goes, and so he says, how would you like to help organize the first Milwaukee ukulele festival? And it was like, I thought, follow the yellow brick road. So <laughs> actually, so I, said, I, re- I remember I, I inadvertently gave you a hand with that because when you were doing that was when I was oh. back in town. And I remember you sending me oh. out to the airport with flyers saying, just scatter them as you go. Kind oh, of like did. rose yeah, yeah, petals. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, I gotta I gotta interject for a second. Interesting that you would use that particular phrase, follow the yellow brick road, given that yeah. oh, one yeah. of the things that really brought the ukulele to the forefront oh, in pop is, consciousness is, is over the is, rainbow. Yeah, is oh, yeah, is is, is, is his version of over the rainbow, which of course um, we'll, we'll put a gratuitous link down there because I, anytime I get to hear it, I I just yeah I that played at my wedding, which of course. Mark was at. Mark was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. Quite a wedding that was. Yeah, it was. It was good. Uh, I'm glad. We'll save that for the. We'll I, save that for the. I'll just. Say, I'll just say that um, the wedding is a great memory for me. Yeah, we'll save that for the after dark version <laughs> of this podcast. There you go. The night flight um, version. The night flight version. It was version one of the of most Robert. interesting bachelor bachelorette yeah. parties I've ever been to. I can say that. Okay. Yeah, and well, you know so, what? That's not even what I was remembering. That's how old I've gotten that I don't even remember the strip club section of the show. It was I just... so, <laughs> and it was surreal strip club. This was not like normal. This was like surreal uh, fun. It was. So, well, anyway, so I. I wrote back to Neil and I said, what would be involved in this? And he, and Neil wrote back and said, uh, probably Mexican food. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm I thought, there. I need to know this guy better. <laughs> so we went down and I went down to the, it was at, uh, and maybe you remember Cielito Lindos, uh, Andy down oh, at Second and National. Hell yeah, Fantastic. I do. Uh, total, total plug here. Best mole oh, in Milwaukee. Oh, without question. Yeah. That, that had uh, so, 800 different layers of flavor to it. Uh, uh, we have an awesome Hispanic community uh, here. Well, okay, so um, I go in, I walk in, and sitting at this long table is every folk stereotype in the in the book. It was like a mighty wind that just blown them <laughs> awesome. and landed them there. And there was the uh, there was the old guy with the gray beard and wearing the two, the uh, wearing the uh, beret. He was there. Awesome. Uh, Stephen was there. Um, there was uh, there was the university professor guy who was there, and then finally down at the end of the table was this guy dressed up like a Yiddish tin pan alley artist from the 1930s, and it, that was Little Rev. That was Mark Revinson, is his name, and we'll put up links for Rev. Hell yes, we um, will. And Rev is a complete force of nature. He's a uh, he's uh, to to use the parlance of the kids. He's a fucking beast. Oh my I, god! He, he actually when you hear that is. Guy play. Yeah, he really is. And, and what's fun about him is he started off, apparently, I'm told, I know people who see it, he'd been a fixture around Milwaukee for years. He was a student here of a guy named Jim Liben, who was one of the great blues uh, Jim Liben and players. Liben's Blues Band. I actually, I actually, I used to know Jim. Yeah, uh, he's still around, man. He's still oh, in wow. great shape. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to and hear he, that. He, hey, Jim. So Rev, Rev I, d- I did sound him. for you a couple times back in the wow. day. So, uh. But then Rev got hooked up on this ukulele thing and just uh, took off into the ozone. So it wasn't his, his it wasn't really his native it. instrument. He came to it uh, as a oh, secondary no, a, thing from a player. He was a headbanging rocker. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but uh, he, he migrated over through the blues and stuff. So and it's funny. It's like um, 
he was just the guy who organized the Milwaukee Ukulele Festival, and he, he helped organize the Milwaukee Ukulele Club, which is a pretty big bunch now. But what what people don't know about Rev is how much he's helped other ukulele players who've made it now into the big time. And um, he's, his generosity just goes on and on. And he lives up in Sheboygan now. So he's, he's on the, you know, when he's not on the road, he's doing concerts online and he's raising his, his uh, daughter with his, his uh, new, his new wife up there in Sheboygan. It's fantastic. And yeah, so, I was, I was going to mention that one of the things that I'd noticed, cause I, I I'm not a, a, an acolyte, a devotee or really a follower, except for the fact that you keep on saying his name. So I did look into him in the past. And one of the things that I was really impressed with is like a, a number of, of artists um, he really took the pandemic as a way to find new ways to connect and find new ways to keep the passion of what he does going. And not only that, yeah. but keep pushing that passion out to other people who are embracing it. And so there's yeah. tons of stuff. Rev is a, uh, is also a force of nature on YouTube. Jake does, or like one of my other good friends is this. I'll tell you, I, I, as I was learning ukulele, I saw, uh, uh, lead, lead Kapa'ano. That really, I mean, you want to talk about somebody that's just incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anytime somebody does something on an instrument where it makes you go, I didn't know you could do that on an instrument. Exactly. Yeah, and this is this guy is one of the this guy is one of the the uh, he's he's one of the, the 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 legends. He's the guy that teaches everybody else, right? Uh, uh, and I took I took a YouTube of that to my instructor, and I said I want to learn how to do this. And he looked at it, and he looked at it again, and he looked at it again, and he went, "Yeah, no." <laughs> No. Well, yeah, that, no. that that reminds me of one of my favorite no. one of my favorite jokes about um, uh, comedian Billy Connolly. A lot of people don't know that Billy Connolly is a, a very accomplished banjo mm -hmm. player. Uh, oh and, no, I didn't know. Yeah, that and the, and the problem you had, Robert, yeah. is what happened here with Billy Connolly uh, back in the in the late '60s. He was going to his uh, ukulele lesson, or excuse me, his banjo lesson in Glasgow, and uh, his his banjo teacher was gone. And um, he hunted him down and the he said, why won't you teach me anymore? I was just getting good. And the guy was just like, I, I, I don't know, you're 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 the you're the teacher now. And he's like, I can't teach. You're the teacher. And he's like, look, the only reason why I'm your damn teacher is because I'm two pages ahead of you in the Pete Seeger how to play the banjo book. <laughs> but uh yeah so i tell you what we're gonna do yeah, we're gonna put that i think not jay and then and then uh, uh this rev guy though he's really good yeah he is really good and we're gonna have all sorts of good links down there uh and again uh preemptive thanks because we haven't talked to him yet but mark's a friend so we're gonna do this uh thanks a lot rev for letting us uh feature some of your material here in our podcast uh, but uh, that's pretty much what we got for you here today on Keep Your 
hat on, folks. Um, again, please do us a favor, like, click, subscribe. Uh, if you feel like kicking us a few bucks to keep these uh, these LED lights on, uh, you can always uh, visit, visit us on our Patreon page. Um, but until next time, do us a favor. For Chris, Robert, Mark, and myself, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Thanks a lot, folks. We'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Stay safe, wear your mask, get your shot, and we'll see you again really soon. Bye-bye. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. This is Keep Your Hat on the show where we don't know even we're... Uh, I'm going to do that again. Please. And that's why the Howleys get the blues. <laughs> NBBN. The Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.